And it gives me great pleasure to introduce our speaker today, our spiritual director, someone who holds the high watch for all of us all of the time and is our vision caster for now and the future. And that is Dr. Patrick Cameron. Good morning. All right. All right, so I'm going to invite you to stand if you'd like and sing with me. And if not, please stay seated. Let's sing a song, say a prayer. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very very room in this very room and so I invite you to know with me recognizing the one life perfect life God's life spirit's life whatever name you choose it doesn't care What's important is what that name means to you and does it expand you and open you and lift you or not. But find that word, the universe, the divine, the infinite, the mystery, the unknown, the force, whatever it is, it says yes. It is so unconditionally supportive and loving that our small ideas of what it may be and how we may interact with it never in any way, shape, or form influence its presence. And so I stand with you in this knowing that I open myself, my heart, and my mind to that awareness and that experience of the infinite. And in that, I'm reminded of where that power and presence, love and light lives, and it's within me and it's within you. And so we come together today to be reminded of that, and it is a powerful, sacred practice where all of a sudden we become the sacred space through our intention, through our knowing, through our willingness, and through our allowing life to flow through us in a new and powerful way. So I stand with you in this today. As we, as we rise to dance, it becomes the experience of the infinite. For God dances through us, as us, in us. God loves in us, laughs in us, cries in us. It's our experience. We are created in the image and likeness. There is no other spot within each and every one of us where that infinite divine presence does not live and abide and have its, its full measure of being. And so my opportunity in this and my knowing in this is how may I clean away and move away anything and everything that restricts that experience so that I stand in true divine co-creation with that source of all life that has always been, that will always be. For this you and I have incarnated. For this remembrance we have come together today and so I'm so grateful to know that everything necessary for you and I to be informed in a sequential and simple and powerful way that allows each and every one of us to live our highest and best experience in this moment and each moment hereafter presents itself because that is who and what we are and we've set the intention impressed upon this infinite law that always says yes 
And I move with that expectancy, knowing that I stand in divine co-creation and unfoldment of spirit in my life in every moment. And should I forget, I waste no time beating myself up or blaming myself. I go right back to this place. And so I give thanks. I release these words in gratitude and appreciation, knowing that they are active and dynamic in my life. I release anything in my life contrary to what I've just expressed, remembering and knowing and affirming it has no longer has any power in my experience. I am renewed in this moment, and I celebrate your renewal with me. For this I give thanks. And together we say, and so it is. Isn't that fun to start today dancing? Do you get up every morning and dance to that a little bit? Yeah, I don't. But I don't know why I don't. All right, here we are, finding the Christ in Christmas. And today's uh, lesson is called Nurturing Presence is the How. Nurturing Presence is the How. Ernest Holmes talks in this entire chapter about finding the Christ. And Ernest Holmes is our founder. And he, as he said, he didn't invent anything. He didn't create anything. He just codified some things in a certain way. And we're, we're part of his legacy. We're part of the, the legacy of the great mystics and the, and the intuitives and the spiritual avatars that have come down through the ages. And so our, our focus here is not so much on maintaining the group as expanding the consciousness and it just so happens that all of us come together in sort of a commonality that is, is a good fit and allows us the freedom to do that. But what I, I drew upon this week to celebrate this idea and did last week and will continue to do throughout the month is the chapter in our Science of Mind textbook called Finding the Christ. And it's interesting because Holmes talks about it that, that you know, we are, we are a Christian denomination. And I remember one of the first minister conferences I went to that was quite a debate. Was like, oh, we're not Christian, we're Christian. And Holmes said this right in the Holmes papers. One of the last series of lectures that were recorded in his uh, uh, career. And he said, we are a Christian denomination, period. Someone said we didn't believe in Jesus. Of course we believe in Jesus and we believe in Buddha too. And we believe in Socrates. And we believe in Abraham Lincoln. And more than everything else, we believe in our own soul. The only immediate testimony you and I will ever have that we existed or that God existed or that Jesus showed us a way. We believe in every way shower. We believe in every way shower. There are a lot of wonderful way showers. And so it's, a, it's our opportunity to, to glean from them what's valuable for us in this moment and leave the rest behind. So my, my prayer with, within this is I found a beautiful quote this morning and I want to share it. I didn't share it. You get all the, see, I get to clean up all my mistakes in the second service, but don't tell the people that went to the first service. <laughs> Uh, is a wonderful uh, Catholic mystic priest by the name of Brennan Manning. And you can Google him. He's an author. He's written several books. And when I found this, I thought, this is so sweet. He said, silent solitude makes true speech possible and personal. Silent solitude makes true speech possible and personal. If I am not in touch with my own belovedness, then I cannot touch the sacredness of others. If I am estranged from myself, I am likewise a stranger to others. So the reason that we come together, what I believe, is that when we live from that, when we remember enough to live from our sonship, Holmes said in this chapter that it is not the only begotten son, it is the son born of the only begotten father. In other words, that he understood that all of us have the divine son and daughtership with spirit. 
So when you and I live in that, there's a different conversation, there's a different relationship. There's a, there's a presence of healing and power and joy and, 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 and this, this aliveness that's different. It's, it's like, unlike any other experience. The Christ within who is our hope of glory is not a matter of theological debate or philosophical speculation. He is not a hobby, a part-time project, a good theme for a book, or a last resort when all human ever fails. It is our life, the most real fact about us. It is the power and the wisdom of God dwelling within us. Now that's another one from Brennan Manning, but it could have been from Ernest Holmes, because Holmes is saying the very same thing. See, when you go deep enough with whatever, whatever tradition, that's why you can celebrate them all. Whatever tradition you take it deep enough, you find the same thing. It's spirit. But what happens is, is that we, what keeps us from having this experience in this chapter, it's all about stepping into the divine. And Holmes talks about it there. He says that, that what, what Jesus is showing us is that he discovered God in his own soul, within himself. And what happened is the story got told over and over again. People started saying, well, he was the great exception. He was a great example. He even said it, these things I have done, you shall do an even greater. So for us and for my, and my opportunity here in the solitude that I went into so that I could show up, see what I want to do when I show up here, if I, I, could, I could not prepare at all if I show up in my sacredness. Because then we have the conversation that we need to have. So my preparation is always about, yeah, I want to read and I want to bring a bunch of stuff, but a lot of times I don't use it because the sacredness is so present with you and I, we're having a conversation. And then what happens is I'm fed, you're fed, because there's a reciprocity. When we stand in that love, there's an endless supply of everything that's required for something that's powerful and wonderful in life. So you don't want to come here and hear my personal opinions, and I know that. Every once in a while I'll share one. Have you noticed that? (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad you're paying attention. I was reading, I found an article this week about... uh, the, this idea of Adam and Eve, you know, and, the, and this, it's all metaphor. The Bible is metaphor, okay? We don't interpret it by, uh, literally, but in it, the story was that Adam and Eve were, uh, well, Adam was standing with Cain and Abel, who were their children after they were cast out of the Garden of Good, you know, of, of Eden. And Cain said to Adam as they were staring back into the garden, boy, it's sure nice over there. How can we not live in there anymore? And he says, because your mom ate us out of house and home. You know whether to tell that one or not, and I guess I won't again. <laughs> Thank you for the, your response. We don't interpret it that way. You know what I think happened? See, I think what I don't think I don't think the infinite. See, what I think is what's what's not correct in that story, in my humble opinion. <laughs> but I got the mic, so I'm going to talk about it. See, I don't think Adam was ever cast out. I don't think Adam was ever cast out of the garden, which is what I'm saying. Is, and the garden is, is heaven. When heaven is right here, it's a state of awareness. It's a consciousness. Adam never got cast out. That's not the nature of the infinite. What Adam did was he started to believe he got cast out. Yeah. Adam, for some reason, said, I don't deserve. Does anybody here ever had the experience besides myself that I don't deserve? Okay, there's 15, there's 17 people here. So I'll talk to you guys, the rest of you, if you want to go get a coffee at the second cup. We'll be here when you get back. 
But what, what it is is, and so what Holmes did, what Ernest Holmes did, is he just, you know, he listened to the, 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 the cultural conditioning at the time of belief, and he said, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. It's not about following the Ten Commandments. It's about living in this sonship and daughtership and this intimate relationship with spirit. And he took the life of Jesus. If you look at our textbook, about a third of it is all about the life of Jesus. So we talk about honoring all traditions, but if you look at our book, it's pretty much about Jesus. Not a whole lot in there about Buddha. There's a lot of Hindu influence in there because he loved Sri Aurobindo especially. was a huge um, student of, of Aurobindo a Hindu mystic. But he discovered, Jesus, his home says, discovered God in his own soul. He discovered and taught that God is at the center of everyone. And God is a self-knowingness that we must put off the old person, our old way of being, in order to embody the new way of being. As you know, the, the Christians would say, being born again. It's a new awareness, a new perspective. The, the, the mind that is in me was, the mind that was in Christ is the mind that is within me, as Paul wrote. We should never hesitate to say that we know the truth, because we do. Never hesitate to say the truth, declare the truth, because we do. And that truth is, as Holmes said, is the realization, the unity of God, that our unity with God is the truth. We are never separate from it, never. Never, 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 never. But we feel that way at times, because we have wounds. We have errors of belief, we have words of resistance, we have words of error, which are the ideas that I'm not good enough, I don't deserve. And so what happens, because we all share that so beautifully, in a spiritual practice, if we're willing to step into it, if we're willing to look at it, is that our wounds can become sacred. Holmes said we can only come to, the, to that awareness of that, our, our, our Christ consciousness by our ability to allow life to flow through us. But our limiting beliefs about ourselves can, can, can restrict that flow. And it, so it's upon all of us to do our own work and our own house cleaning to allow that, that flow of life. I met with someone this week, and, I, and being an old carpenter, I had a piece of paper and a pencil, and I said, here's the house. And I said, you know, many times I would go in with my, my partner back in California, we did finish carpentry and cabinets, and we would go in when the house was ready to have the doors and the windows and the moldings and the crown molding and whatever else they wanted to have put in, put in. And I said, a lot of times when we go into the house, we'd have to clean it up first so we could work. Because there'd be debris there, or sometimes people would be hoarders, and they'd say, you know, I always want a crown molding, and you'd look and, you know, you couldn't even get in the room, let alone, I'd say, well, we got to clean that out. And so the same is of our consciousness. Our, our house, our house, our temple of consciousness is, is already built. But sometimes there's so much clutter in it, we can't put the pieces into it that make it beautiful because we can't move around enough. It's what's, as above, so below. And so it's, it's this, how do we open ourselves up to that? How do we work with our wounds? And look at that. And our woundedness are those limiting ideas and beliefs that were, were given to us as gifts because the people that conditioned us gave us those beliefs. And they gave them to us out of love. That's one of the arts of being a parent. Man, oh man, I mean, for the first five or six years I had my, my, first, my daughter, you know, I, I'd hear my dad coming and going. You know, oh, God, there he is again. Because oh. it's all I knew. And then I had to stop. I had to become more mindful. I'd say, do I really want to say that to her? So 
because what happens with this, especially this teaching, is, you know, this is such a great teaching because it's really, we set an intention, we create a vision statement, and, and then the, the vending machine that is God provides. I'm going to have a Snicker bar right now from God. And I put my, my loony or toony in, whatever, and I get my Snicker bar. And so what happens is we look at this in all of the popular mythology and the stories about, like the movie The Secret. I always love that movie where the guy would say, well, you know, I started visualizing checks showing up in the mail. And lo and behold, the next week, a check showed up in the mail. I thought, I'm missing this piece in the teaching. I went home and I started visualizing checks showing up in the mail. I'm still waiting. <laughs> but I think it, it's, it's confusing for people. Because what happens then is this mindset becomes that, that God is here to make my life easier. And I need stuff. I'm going to the vending machine of the infinite. And it's a little more complex than that. What it is, is it requires, we can have anything we want, provided we're willing to do the work at the level of consciousness, provided we're willing to create the spiritual mental equivalent, the spiritual prototype in consciousness to have it. It's that simple. I was, um, I was, we had, I don't know if Jackie's here. Jackie, you're here? Jackie came in and she did this wonderful, she found out she could do all this handyman stuff. And there was all these little pieces around here that weren't done and I had all the little stuff to do in my truck. But when it gets this cold, I don't even want to look inside my truck. I just want to go to here to there and get out as fast as I can. But um, she came in and she helped me with a bunch of stuff. Put the hooks up in the washroom over here and she fixed the toilet. She fixed a sink for us, and we were snaking out a drain because we haven't been able to drain water in our ki- kitchen over there for a long time. Uh, by the way, it's, uh, we've banned stir, stir sticks in the center because it was full of stir sticks. So, but, you know, you learn these things, and so it's just been plugged for a long time. We got it all cleaned up. And so I said, well, come on with me. We're going to go down to the kids' room. I want to clean up this kitchen downstairs where we have classes and the kids meet because you know, it can use a lot of work, and I'm being an old co- contractor. I want to fix it up. And I said, well, here's what I'm thinking. We'll do this. We'll put a new floor in and we'll bring in and we'll get a refrigerator and we'll get a nice stove and we'll vent it and they can cook cookies down here and put in a dishwasher and all this stuff. And she just looked at me and said, after spending four hours trying to get this drain that we thought was collapsed uh, fixed, she looked at me and without missing a beat, she said, it's time for a new building. (laughs) I had no reply for her because I've thought about that many times. But when I bring it up... When I bring it up, many times people get scared. Oh my God, what are you talking about? That could could cost money. Can't do that. And so then I go right right into kingdom one with them, which is victims. Go, oh, you're right. Yeah, that will cost a lot of money. And if I do it, I'll have to do the whole thing myself and on and on and on, which is a very limiting idea. What if we we did the, the idea, we did a spiritual prototype, we got a picture of what we want. And then we got into co-creation that we lived in this divine flow of life and said the great ideas and the ways that not only can we use this beautiful facility for something meaningful on Sunday, but throughout the week. Have a preschool for kids, have wonderful weddings here, have all kinds of things, events, have enough office space for people that need a space if they're having a meeting or a conference and have it all hooked up with internet stuff so they can do a conference. I mean, all that stuff. But no, 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 I don't think like that. I'm not gonna bring that up with you guys because the next thing you know, I'll be asking you for money. Ooh, you don't want to do that. But the point is, we're, we're not in it alone. But do you see where we go? We go right to the limitation. I mean, I do. You maybe you don't. 
But I realize, you know what? We create the spiritual prototype. We set the intention. We say, you know what? And this is the reason why we want to do these things. Because it's powerful what we teach here. I, I wouldn't go to church if I couldn't go to a place like this. I, I just wouldn't. Unless, I, you know, unless there's somebody, one of these wonderful Christian ministers, I'd go anywhere where, there's, where it's alive, where people are understanding. It's not about limitation. I, uh, this uh, Brendan Manning wrote uh, this wonderful thing. I love this about, and I think this is what we stand for. And I didn't share this at the first service either, so don't tell those guys. <laughs> if we maintain the open-mindedness of children, what did Jesus say? Be like children. If we maintain the open-mindedness of children, which is for me when I hear the story and it's time for a new building and I'm like, oh God, she's saying the truth, but I don't want to have to deal with that. <sighs> what if I have the open-mindedness of a child? Oh, it might be possible. You know, I used to believe in Santa Claus. All kinds of things that made life magical and wonderful. But then I got to a point where I said, I got to do it all myself. Anybody here feel like you got to do it all yourself or it all fall apart? Yeah, it sucks, doesn't it? That's not what we're about here. See, but that is one of the wounds. That's one of the limitations that we have. Yes, we have to do our work. Yes, we have to get up and put our clothes on, drive to where we got to go, all that stuff. We got to participate in it. But the most powerful way we can participate in it is show up a fully alive in, in, that, in that flow of life. If we maintain the open-mindedness of children, we challenge fixed ideas and established structures, including our own. So I'm sharing with you an established structure in my own being why I don't want to go there. Too much work. Somebody's going to get upset. Somebody won't love me. See, I don't have the luxury of that. I just don't. If my need to be loved and approved of by you supersedes my responsibility to share with you things that are meaningful and to show up clear, clear away so I can be of value, I've got to go do something else. I can't get, you can't fulfill my needs. I wish you could. And I can't fulfill yours. But see, then when we're not here trying to save one another and fix one another, our lives can be about something more powerful. Because I don't need to fix you. Because you are already the divine. You are the thing itself in form. So if I operate from that, it's like, let's go. Let's take that hill. Let's make a difference in the world. Let's, let's this limiting beliefs. If you want to read, read about limiting beliefs, look, look at the newspaper on a Sunday or a, during the week, anytime. It's always about there's not enough. What about the hockey players right now and the owners? Did you guys know there's a strike? Because I see it every time I turn the TV on. But there's not enough. There's not enough. I don't know how many billions they make. There's not enough. What, I'm not going to go in there and tell them, <laughs> maybe there's enough boys. Come on, let's get together. Let's all love one another. They're right where they need to be. That's the consciousness. They're a warrior consciousness. It's a battle. So this is how these guys are geared. Why are we applauding for that? But anyway, but it is. It's where they're, they're in consciousness. And it's, so it's, it's, but they'll figure it out or they won't. You know, I, the other day it was, I'll go, I'll go there later. I'll tell you about that. So we, we listen to people in their other denominations and religions. We don't find, okay, he says, if, let me back up. If we maintain, and this is from Brennan Manning, and I'll read the whole thing to you now because it's a good paragraph. If we maintain the open-mindedness of children, we challenge fixed ideas and established structures, including our own. We listen to people in other denominations and religions. We don't find demons in those with whom we disagree. We don't cozy up to people who mouth our jargon. If we are open, we rarely resort to either or 
either creation or evolution, liberty or law, sacred or secular, Beethoven or Madonna. We focus on both and fully aware that God's truth cannot be imprisoned in a small definition. And what happens with with traditions, and God forbid if we ever drop into that, we try to define God. You can't describe that experience. we, We probably did as much praying dancing together today as we will in the rest of the service. Because God, when we dance, God dances. When we love, God loves. When we smile and, and, and hug one another, we, we've taken form so that God can be more fully expressed and realized on the planet. It's the nature of the infinite. It's very personal. So I love that. So it's either or. It's both and. I'm sorry, it's not either or, it's both and. And that's why you can stand up here and say we honor all traditions. We just don't honor ignorance. How can you honor tradition? The tradition I came from was hurtful. I have two people all the time. I was on the phone this week with somebody telling me, God, it's taken me three years. I'm going to the Calgary Center for Spiritual Living, and I hate the word God. And because when we use any of the, those words, those trigger words, as a weapon, what is it? It touches a wound. It touches a wound. And what happens for us, too, is when the wounds, when we look at the wounds, why would we look at the wound if we don't have a vehicle to move through the wound and transform it? And so what happens, as Holmes said, is that, and, and this is from um, um, some of the work by John Eldred, but, but with wounds, we have to start answering the right, asking the right questions. Because as I mentioned earlier, if we're just trying to get God to make life easier for us, then our, our questions to God are, why did you let this happen to me? Why would this horrible thing happen to me? Come on, God. Help me straighten out my love life. Let me help stra- straighten out my finances. Let me pull t- I'm going to put a loony in the God vending machine here, and I'm going to have the brand new car I need. What it is... For me, as, as, as I look at my own journey and my own limitations about my experience with God, is the question that I can ask is, what am I learning here? What, is it, what direction is this stretching me in? If I believe that, that, that God lives within me and that I have everything I need at the level of consciousness that I can welcome, then I want to welcome bigger ideas, then I need to get some stuff out of the way and be more available. available. Ernest Holmes said we must let life move through us. And so the new question is, what am I being taught here? What issues in my heart are rising up so that I may live in a greater proximity to divine grace, to divine trust, to clarity and wisdom? I was watching, a, um, I was going through the TV the other day and I'm, I stopped and it was, uh, The Rock was in The Scorpion King. And I didn't, you know, I, I didn't start with the movie, I didn't end it with the movie, but as I turned it there, The Rock is shot from about 25 feet with an arrow in his back. Now I gotta tell you, if I get shot in the back with an arrow from 25 feet, my whole world's gonna stop. I'm gonna lay down, scream, and tell everybody everything stops until I get fixed, right? Does the rock do anything? He kind of goes like this. <laughs> and then he takes care of all the bad guys, or at least the, the bad guys that are in the castle with him. He's throwing them off. And then he picks up a bow, and he needs an arrow. So what does he do? He reaches back here, and he pulls it out with his hand, and he uses the arrow. And I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's amazing. 
He doesn't have any wounds. Nothing bothers the rock. But here's the truth about wounds. And this is our limiting beliefs. This is our words of resistance and our words of error. I'm not good enough would be a word of error. And then how does that play out in your life? You, you withdraw. You pull back. You hide. You get angry. You, you appease. You whine. Whatever it may be. See, there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's just not a very big experience of life. And so what happens is, that, is as John Eldridge says in uh, Wild at Heart, he said, our wounds need attention. Our wounds need attention. A wound that goes unacknowledged and unwept, unwept, is a wound that cannot heal. A wound you've embraced, and I think this is very important, a wound that you have embraced is a wound that you cannot heal. Because when we embrace our wounds, when we live from it, when we have the wound that I'm not good enough and we embrace it, you can't heal it. Because it's so much a part of you. Who am I going to be if I don't have this? And what Holmes has said is we must look at the thing long enough so it no longer has power over us. He's not saying embrace it. It's not your identification. Walter Starkey, who wrote God is All There Is, wrote when he used to go to his 12-step meetings, he'd say, uh, my name is Walter and he's an alcoholic. <laughs> he said, I'm not, I'm not claiming that for myself. But he understood the, the power of the word. Walter never, he didn't deny. Walter said, I knew I couldn't have another drink and still function. But I wasn't going to claim that as my identity. That's yeah, part of me. It's part of my journey. It's part of my woundedness. But it's not the totality of my being. But it, we, we can make it that way. A, a wound you embraced is a wound you cannot heal. A wound that you think you deserve is another wound you cannot heal. And it's self-indulgent. It's, it's, it's spiritual arrogance. It's what it is. When you deny your, your divine sonship with this, this, this divine grace, this father-mother principle of life that is not a man and it is not a woman, it's both male and female. It is a vibration that we live in. It's right here, right now, in and through and as each and every one of us. And when we deny that because we say, well, I'm too, I'm too small for that. Well, spirit doesn't judge us. But it's It's selfish. It's small, it's self-indulgent. Because God just moves on and says he's gonna find a channel for outlet. Oh, you don't wanna write the, the, the next song that'll change the world? You don't wanna discover the next medicine that'll help cure some, uh, I'll move on to the next person that's available to it. Because that person is open and receptive to say, you know, I'm here, I'm here as an ambassador and an emissary of this infinite power and presence. And, and, and the subtlety of that is, I wanna read something from Richard Rohr who's another one of my favorite Catholics right now. I'm loving the Catholics, by the way. A lot of healing going on for me. I was kicked out of the altar boys when I was 12. I was pretty proud of it at the time. My mother was crushed. Man, those guys, they have mass at very inconvenient hours. You'll be serving the 5 a.m. The what? The 5 a.m. mass? Why would we have mass at 5 a.m.? There's a, a wonderful book called Adam's Return, and it's about the uh, rites of passage for men. And um, I'm going to go a little bit over, so if you need to leave, I won't take it personal. If you want me to take it personal, get up and go right now. <laughs> anyway, no, I get it. I, uh, but I want to share these last pieces with you, because they're so wonderful. But in it, in, in Richard Rohr talks about the five messages of Jesus. And one of them is Jesus, it, it is said, and this is for the, for the rites of passage for men, but it's true for all of us. It says, number one, it's true that life is hard. The Buddha said life is suffering. 
And then he quotes, he quotes um, Jesus in, in Matthew. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he said that it is, it's harder, he said it's hard to hear God, but it's harder not to hear God. The pain of one brings upon oneself by living outside the evident reality, this state of grace, the pain that we bring upon ourselves by living outside what is evident and has been taught about for centuries and centuries and centuries is a greater and longer lasting pain than the brief pain of facing it head on. Which is exactly what Holmes said, we must look at a thing long enough so it only has power over us. How do you like the way I put my notes together? Pretty slick, huh? Anyway, otherwise I lose them. This is for me. He says this, enlightened people invariably describe the spiritual experience of God as resting, peace, delight, and even ecstasy. Often the saints and the mystics use even more erotic and sensuous metaphors. John of the Cross speaks of being seized by the same delight that is in God, being caught by God's great being, and breathing God's same air. St. Bernard said that for him, Jesus was honey in the mouth, music to the ears, and joy in the heart. Hafez, Rumi, Tagore, and Kabir made life with God sound downright fun and fantastic, a poem instead of a trial. If your religion has no joy, has no inherent contentment about it, then it's not the real thing. If your religion is primarily fear of self, the world, and God, it is, a, it is, a, is primarily a need to tend to religious duties and obligations, then it is indeed a hard yoke and a heavy burden and hardly worthwhile. Wonder, one wonders why so many people bother with such chosen unhappiness. It is not, we are not designed for this. Roar says, seek joy in God and peace within yourself. Seek to rest in the good, the true, and the beautiful. It is God within you who loves God. It is God within you that loves God. It's God within me that loves God. That's, that's how I can recognize it. That's how I can experience it. And we, do, and, and we do our best to do that through our song and celebration. We're not here to, to worship because we have to worship. We're here because we, it's our opportunity to celebrate life and be lifted up into that flow, that dynamic flow of life which is so powerful and wonderful. And then all of us become agents for change in the world. And then we can look at whatever's going on and, 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 and step into it with other people and go, wow, isn't this great? What do you mean it's great? It's horrible. No, 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 this is just the chaos that goes on before the new is created. And when you understand the continuum of life, how spirit works. It is the God within who loves the God. It will be the only resting place that will allow you to, to also hear and bear the darkness. Hard and soft, difficult and easy, pain and ecstasy do not eliminate one another, but actually allow each other. They bow back and forth like dancers, although it is harder to bow to pain and failure. If you look deeply inside every success, every, every success and every failure, there's also seeds and signs of success and failure. It contains both. To see this, it is foundational to wisdom, and it is an axiom of basic spiritual seeking. You can bear the hardness of life and see through failure if your soul is resting in a wonderful and comfortable sweetness and softness. And that's why people in love, and often people at the end of the life, such have, have such an excess of energy for others. If your truth does not set you free, it's not the truth at all. Hallelujah, amen. If God cannot be rested in, 
then she must not be much of a God. And if God is not juice and joy in your life, then what has created all these lilacs and lilies and snowflakes and ice and icicles? And Suze would like you to know palm trees as well. Thank you, Suze. I'm going to save number two for next week. Cliffhanger. It's really good. You're not going to want to miss it. I'll leave it. If something happens to me, I'll leave it in my my, um, estate. Someone can read it to you. But what happens with our woundedness, and this once again comes from Brendan Manning, we unwittingly project onto God our own attitudes and feelings towards ourselves. We unwittingly project onto God feelings and attitudes that we have about ourselves. But we cannot assume that God feels about us the way we feel about it and ourselves. Unless we love ourselves compassionately, intensely, and freely. So our opportunity right now is where are you not allowing yourself to be loved compassionately, intensely, and freely? What is restricting that? Oh, I'm going to share. I've got to share this other piece with you. The heck with it. It's just too good. It's just, it's so alive, you know. It's like, oh, you know, if you have two more minutes, then I'll be done. So we're going to do a, uh, we've got Sue's going to do another song. But it's so beautiful. And I'll shorten it up for you. But what it, what it says in the next, the next message that Jesus had is it's true that you are not that important. All of us need to understand it's true we're not that important. And then he backs it up with this quotation. This is Richard Rohr again from Adam's Return. He says, do you not know that your name is written in heaven? Each and every one of us' name is written in heaven. Every one of us. If you really know your name is on some eternal list, you can let go of the irritations on the small list of time. He said, because if I don't know that, I am lost in comparison, envy, competition, and codependency. And spiritually, if you have it, I do too. And if I have it, you do too. Authentic spirituality is an experience of abundance and mutual flourishing instead of scarcity. Material gifts and ego gifts decrease with usage, whereas spiritual gifts actually increase with each use, in ourselves and in those around us. You are important. But the interesting thing is you can't declare yourself important. If I say I'm important, I start shouting it from the rooftops, what does it say about me? I don't feel important. Otherwise, why would I have to yell it at you? I'm important. I really am. I'm really important. Sure you are. Okay, well, let's all just cleave silently and let him jump up and down. But I mean, we are already important. The point is it's already, we are already declared important. You cannot declare yourself important. To attempt it is delusional behavior. When a Zen master tells you about the face you had before you were born, when Jesus tells you that your name is written in heaven, when Isaiah tells you that God has branded you on the palms of his hands, and you don't think you're important? They have saved, when we know that, when we get that, this is what Rar says, we will save ourselves tens of thousands of dollars in self-promotion fees. We will save ourselves all the money we need for tap dance lessons and therapy for our negative self-image. The problem we try so hard to solve is already completely solved, and most people don't know it. I wanted to, I just, like I said, I wanted to share that with you as well, because take that with you this week and look at it. You're, you are already important. We, dis, we, we, we many times devalue how precious we are. 
how important we are. That we are, we are alive at this point, at, the, at this time in our history and evolution of consciousness in this planet. It's not an accident. All of us, every one of us, to do this work, to have the courage and understanding that my wounds are not, my wounds are not a problem. My wounds aren't here because I've done something wrong and God is punishing me. My wounds are here because God said, you know, you have a big enough consciousness, you have a big enough opportunity for yourself to look at that and transform it so that you master that. And then you become a gift to the planet. Then you become, but isn't it interesting that we must go through that transformation? One of my favorite movies is Gladiator with with, uh, Russell Crowe. And at one point in time, he goes through this adventure and he's standing in the Colosseum and, and Commodus, who's sent him away and has punished him and murdered his father, his um, wife and his son. And he doesn't know who this gladiator is. He has a hood on and he finally takes the hood off. And he stands and he declares who he is. He says, I'm Maximus Decimus Meridius. I'm the, the general of the Northern Army. Commander of the, uh, the Felix Legion. I am the husband to a murdered wife, the father to a murdered son. And what it is, is an example to all of us, that what shapes his consciousness is his conviction and his journey. He had everything taken away from him. And of course, what motivated him was the battle. He said, I will have my revenge in this life or the next. He was in that consciousness. But the, the beauty of what it was was he, he was... He had gone through the trials that created the consciousness he was in this moment, as all of us have, to be able for us to stand and say, this is who I am. I've had my heart broken. I've had things taken away from me that I loved. I've had people leave me. I've had disappointment. But is this not the nature of life? When we understand it, it's not that we welcome it, but this God force within us has gifted all of this to us to create this consciousness that is so powerful and beautiful and wonderful. If we step into it and accept it, then our identity becomes something that is, that is beyond measure. And it's not just us and our small personalities. It is the totality of our experience and it is standing in that co-creation with the infinite. And then we know we, we show up wherever we need to show up. And that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. So I thank you for your courage. I thank you for your continued commitment to your spiritual awakening. Sometimes you take a break. I have to too. It's inevitable. It's gradual, sequential, and inevitable. And that's powerful and wonderful. You are an inspiration to so many people in so many people's lives. And the world needs that. We need your your Christ consciousness in the world. So in this Christ season, you become the gift. All of us become the gift when we stand in that. And it's a beautiful thing. We put down our small ways of thinking. Put, take off the old man, as Holmes said, and put on the new man. And so it is. Thank you, guys. Hey, thank you very much.